over there. <laughs> All right, if we can find our seats. I have a couple announcements before we get started, but you can start turning to Jonah chapter 1. Uh, but just a couple of announcements. We have a choir practice tonight after the service, mini choir practice right up here by the piano. So if you can uh, mark that down if you're involved in that. And then we're doing something a little bit different next week. Our pastor's conference is on Monday and Tuesday. And Monday night we have a service at 7 o'clock. And that will be our midweek service next week. So we will not have a Wednesday night service. We're going to have our midweek service on Monday night. I know it's not midweek, but it's more midweek than Sunday. So, uh, But we, we, re- we would Wednesday, sir, uh, 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock, yes, Wednesday. Uh, Monday for Wednesday. I'm getting myself confused up here. My goodness. Should I start all over? Let's sit down, get back up. All right. We are meeting on on Monday night at 7 o'clock. I really, uh, Scott Paul, are we preaching? All the pastors be here. Please be praying for that. I was telling somebody before service, last year at this time, every day I was getting calls, I can't come, I can't come, I can't come. And we still had a good showing. This year, Every day for the last week, I've been getting calls of unexpected men signing up. Guys have never been here before. And so I hope for a good showing this year, and it'll be an exciting time. Uh, You're also invited to be here all day Tuesday, if you'd like. Um, Nine to three, we'll be having our service. uh, My dad will be preaching, and then also uh, Brother Paulie twice, and and I'm bringing a breakout session as well. So uh, it will be a really good day if you can be here with us. But Monday night, 7 p.m., and then not on Wednesday. Jonah chapter 1. Last week we talked about the casting of the lots to find out who was guilty. And I'd like you to just picture this scene as the lot falls on Jonah and everybody gets quiet and everybody slowly turns to look at Jonah and realizes he is the guilty one. That would spark a conversation, a dialogue, if you will. After the lot fell on Jonah, we see this dialogue between the sailors and Jonah, the interrogation, uh, the investigation, as they find out what's going on with him. Uh, I read a story this week. A defendant was on trial for murder in Oklahoma, and there was strong evidence that he had killed someone, and uh, but there was no body, so they didn't have that proof. In a last-ditch effort, his lawyer, knowing his client was about to get convicted, thought he would try something out, and uh, he said to the jury, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you. He looks at his watch, and he said, within one minute, the person that you presume dead in this case is going to walk into this courtroom. And of course, everybody's eyes turned to the door. The jury was very surprised. They're watching the door. He watches the door, and they watch for a full, long minute, and... Nobody walks through. The, then he said this, Actually, I made up the previous statement, but you all looked on with anticipation. I proved that there is reasonable doubt in this case to whether anybody uh, was killed and insist that you return a verdict of not guilty. Well, the jury, a little bit shaken up by this, went to deliberate, and a few minutes later they came back. A few hours later they came back and pronounced a verdict of guilty. And the lawyer was, what are you talking about? I proved that you thought she might walk through the door. And, and the jury foreman said, we did think that she might walk through the door. We did have that expectation. And we looked at the door, and you looked at the door, but your client never looked at the door. So he knew that that wasn't going to happen. Often, we are our own worst enemy when it comes to the things we have done. Uh, we self-incriminate ourselves, 
by what we do or by what we say or even our inaction sometimes. Sometimes the only person we're fooling about our sin is ourselves. And tonight, Jonah is going to incriminate himself. Now, he'll do it actually with his words, but let's break this down as we go through it. Verse number 8, chapter 1, And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceeding afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Father, I ask you to use this, your word and challenge us tonight, if you would. We'll give you the glory for what you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin with the scrutiny. The, when the lot fell on Jonah, it kicked off an interrogation. And the questions they asked of Jonah tells us some things about the sailors. First, the sailors saw this lot that fell on Jonah as a, an accusation, not a conviction. Jonah would, go, would have to be tried before he was considered convicted. The second, question, uh, second thing the questions show us is that the sailors were pretty honorable about this process. The questions were legally smart. They were uh, orderly. There was no frantic, impulsive accusations being thrown at Jonah. Uh, they gave Jonah a fair trial, if you will. They uh, were fair about their questions. A total of seven questions were asked that we're going to break down tonight. And they were all dealing, they dealt with the, in, in order here, the crime, the calling, the conduct, the citizenship, the companions, the compulsion, and the consequences. Are you proud of me, Pastor Forsberg? Those are all C's. Yes, I am always trying to make him proud. So uh, we got all C's. Now, these questions can be divided into four categories to show the legal procedures and the plan that they had to convict him or to prove his, whether he was guilty or not. The first category deals with the indictment of the accused. That's the first question. And then questions two through five uh, concern the character of the accused. And the third category is the motivation of the accused, and uh, that's question number six. And the fourth uh, talks about the sentencing of the accused, and that's question number seven. We'll break all these down as we go. I'm just trying to set it up uh, because I want to show you it is orderly. It was done very well and uh, they, they were wise about it. The process left Jonah standing before these sailors, not only the sailors, but also the sovereign, God, and he was guilty, and he knew he was guilty. So let's uh, break down the question. The first question, we see the crime. For whose cause, verse 8, this evil is upon us? Exactly what was the crime that you committed, they're asking. The meaning doesn't really come out as clearly in our English translation uh, the literal translation, if you were to uh, not, not try to make it reader-friendly, would be, for what, to whom? In other words, what did you do, and who did you do it to? That's what they're asking here. And uh, remember, Jonah is essentially in court, and this first question here is to discover the evil that he did, and what happened, and why all this has come upon them, the storm. So when Jonah answers this question, he details uh, a specific crime, and he makes his guilt very plain to them. So now, when he speaks, we're starting to move from accusation to condemnation. And God 
demands this in our life as well. He demands confession. And by the way, confession is the best thing for the sinner. Amen? First uh, John 1, 9 talks about that. And so uh, it was in Jonah's case as well. The sooner he confessed and acknowledged his sin, the sooner uh, it, it would, he could get himself right and the better it would be for all concerned. Defending sin always makes sin worse. Confessing sin removes it. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but, prosper. but whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin, uh, that's the ones that God will forgive. So we see that then the crime. And then secondly, the calling of the accused. This is the second question. What is thine occupation? So this is the first of the four questions that deal with the character. Uh, whenever somebody is on trial, they want to determine their character. Uh, I have some, at times, written letters of recommendation about someone's character. Uh, one time, actually more than once, but I, I'm thinking of one time, somebody asked me for a character reference letter, and I had nothing good to say about their character, really. And I'm not going to lie about it. I mean, my name's on the line. I'm not going to just make up a bunch of stuff about somebody. So um, I uh, found the details that it would go directly to the court. And without being rude or mean to them, I just kind of laid out the truth. Because if I, it's being a character witness is a serious thing. Amen. So, uh, But this is a, an important part of a trial. So no other witnesses are available, but he's still given an opportunity to defend himself. The first of these four questions deal with Jonah's calling. It helps to have an honorable job when this question is asked in court. It can establish a good testimony and establish that you are a, uh, a, a working person, a, a responsible person. But even though Jonah had an honorable calling, he was a prophet, it would make it worse in this circumstance. Instead of helping clear him, it would only indict him further. I'm a prophet, but I'm running from God. So that's not a good thing. He's a, a prophet that's not doing his job. Also, the fact that the, jo uh, that the sailors had to ask Jonah what his occupation was in the first place wasn't good. If he had been living right, they'd have probably known what he was. If he'd have been handing out gospel tracts like he should have been doing, if he'd have been witnessing to people like he should have been doing, they'd know that he was a prophet. But no one, and by the way, no one should spend a lot of time with you and not be aware that you're a Christian. That, that ought to come out. That ought to leak out. That ought to be clear and plain. Especially when a Christian is involved in a major crisis. That Christianity, that light of the gospel ought to show through. And, and uh, Christianity ought to show, especially in a crisis like Jonah was here with these sailors. But when the, we are disobedient, our godliness doesn't show. If we're not living for God, if we're running from God in our life, and if we're backslidden, if we're away from where we're supposed to be in uh, doing what God wants us to do, our godliness won't show. We're not going to have an impact if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. A non-praying person like Jonah was, remember, when they were praying, he was sleeping. A non-praying person like him does not signify that you're a Christian, much less a prophet. So answering this question only made matters worse. And then the third question, number three, the conduct of the accused. The third question, whence comest thou? Whence comest thou is an interesting question. This isn't the only time it's in Scripture. It's also found in 2 Kings chapter 5, if you remember the story of Elisha and his servant Gehazi. I think it was uh, uh, Naaman had been healed. And Naaman, of course, offered to throw a bunch of money and gold and gifts onto Elisha. He said, no thanks. But the servant of Elisha got 
uh, greedy. And so after uh, Naaman left, he follows him and says, my master changed my mind. I'll, we'll, we'll take all that that you have to offer. And he came back. Uh, so on his, after he came back from his trip of greed, Elijah asked the question, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 25, whence comest thou? Uh, in other words, what have you been doing? If your teenager comes home at 1 a.m., that's a question you ask. Whence comest thou? <laughs> what have you been up to? What are you doing? Where have you been? So this question gives Jonah an opportunity to defend his character again. But because of his disobedience, he has nothing to defend. Because uh, to answer it honestly shows again that he is operating in rebellion to God's orders. Question number four, the citizenship of the accused. What is thy country? This question attempts to determine what nation he belongs to, what his citizenship is. Is Jonah from a nation that is notorious for its evil? Like, I don't know, Nineveh, Syria, those places would be known for their evil. Is he from a wicked place? Some nations, like some people, are known for perpetual being a perpetual troublemaker. Today, if you were to ask that question, oh, I'm from the Gaza Strip. Oh, that explains a lot then. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that would tell us something about you. So that's what they're asking Jonah. Where are you from? What is thy country? But Jonah's nation was Israel. And God's intent was that Israel would be a blessing to the world. At the very beginning of Israel's history, do you remember what God told Mo Moses? Uh, I'm sorry, Abraham? He told him, thou shalt be a blessing. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jonah, Genesis 12, 2. So Jonah could give a good answer here regarding his citizenship if he was doing the right thing, but he wasn't doing the right thing. So in giving his citizenship, uh, rather than being, uh, it, it would rather than helping him, it would further indict him. He wasn't being a blessing to the sailors. He certainly wasn't being a blessing to where he was sent to Nineveh. God had sent him to Nineveh to show them the the uh, basically the gospel, show them his grace. So rather than being a help, he was being a hurt. Uh, while they were praying, he was sleeping. Instead of helping them, he was hurting them. And uh, he had a message that could deliver a whole city from the judgment of God, yet Jonah, in running to Tarshish, refused to let his life be a blessing like God intended. Jonah didn't reflect his citizenship very well, to say the least. Many Christians have the same problem that Jonah had, uh, in that they don't reflect their citizenship very well. A, a believer's citizenship is heaven. In fact, the Bible says so in Philippians 3.20, a believer's conversation is in heaven, the Bible says. And in Greek, that word uh, conversation, it means citizenship. And so that's where we are. Our life should manifest whose we are and where we are from, but often it does not. Now, we know foreigners in this country, often because of how they dress or... Uh, how they look different. Sometimes the color of the skin is a giveaway or, or the style of clothing. Uh, we can tell because they uh, are discernible. Different dress, different language, often different interests. And would, it, would to God that believers would be so distinguishable from the world as well. This is, not our, this is not our home, that song. This is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Uh, this, this should not be, by the way, this is where we get in trouble when we try to make this our home. I'm, I'm going on a rabbit trail. I very rarely go on rabbit trails, but I'll do one real quick. When uh, Abraham uh, passed on all his worldly belongings to Isaac, he bequeathed 
being of sound mind, I leave my son Isaac a tent. Okay, that's because he was no man. When Isaac, he uh, left his son a tent. They lived in tents. They didn't have a mansion. They had a tent. Jacob lived in a tent. Uh, and because this, th this wasn't their home where they were at until they got to the promised land. You know where uh, they got in trouble was Lot when he didn't want a tent. He wanted a home, and he went, ended up in Sodom, and he got himself in big trouble there and compromising. And when we try to make this world our home rather than realizing we are not citizens here. We're citizens in another place. We are just passing through here, and uh, so that'll help us. We ought to live like it, though, and Jonah was not doing so. Let me ask, ask you this then. What country are you from? Where is your citizenship? If you're a Christian, your citizenship is heaven. Second question, does it show? Do you stick out? And uh, is it discernible from the world around you? I hope so. How sad it is when our announcement that we are a Christian works against us. Uh, and we've probably all been there a time or, or two. And that's what was happening with Jonah here. All right, moving right along. The fifth question. Of what people are thou? This is the companions of the accused. They asked Jonah about his companions because our friends say a lot about us. Good companions uh, speak well of your character. Bad companions do not. The sailors want to know who Jonah's companions are. It would help them to see whether he was guilty or innocent. Uh, of what people are thou? People... Here can speak of his race, his family, his associates, his friends. If Jonah could give a good answer here, it would speak well for him. It would be a good defense. But he can't give a good answer here. Because he has fled from God, left behind his friends and family and associates of good character, and he has gone on the road of disobedience, and his companions are now pagans. Now the lessons we could again stop and preach on each one of these, but the lessons are numerous here. Many people claim to be good people, but who they keep company with cancels out their claim because our friends tell us so much about ourselves. We, we, if you've raised kids, you've told this to your kids ad nauseum. You're going to be what your friends are. We're careful about who our kids are friends with, aren't we? We want to, be, want to make sure they have positive friends and, and we, uh, we vet their friends, or we ought to uh, vet who they are friends with and who they spend time with. Well, it's important for us as adults too who our friends are. If you prefer partying with unbelievers to worshiping with Christians, you've got, you're going to have a hard time convincing anybody you're a Christian. You're not going to be living like it. Of what people are you or art thou? That question there speaks volumes about your character. Who are your preferred companions? Where are you the most comfortable with? I hope that it's with, around God's people it ought to be. All right, moving on. Number six, the compulsion of the accused. The question is, why hast thou done this? The question asks the reason that Jonah chose to do evil and not go to Nineveh as God had ordered. Now, this question is an important one. It determines if the deed committed was evil or not. Uh, for example, even killing a person can be seen different ways. It can be murder, or it can be self-defense, or it can be an accident. To determine what, uh, how evil the deed was, we have to see the motivation behind it. Every single deed will be defined by its motivation. And so it was with Jonah. He had run from God. Now the question is, why? Why hast thou done this? The answer is needed by these sailors as they're trying to determine the nature of his actions. 
Now, the Bible does not record that Jonah answered this question. He answered most of them. We'll get to that. But doesn't record that he answered this question uh, to the sailors. But he does answer this question to God later on after the revival in Nineveh. So he'll answer this question, and just for information's sakes, we'll look at it. It's in chapter 4, verse 2. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. So Jonah ran. The reason he ran, and the reason he couldn't really tell the sailors, yeah, I'm a preacher, I preach the gospel, and the reason I ran is I was afraid I might have a good altar call. That's essentially what he's saying here. I knew you'd forgive them. I didn't want to go. And uh, that's a really hard thing to admit. And he admitted it in his frustration to God. But obviously then his motivation was very selfish. Uh, Jonah didn't want Nineveh spared. Uh, they were Israel's enemy. Now, through his own, we've already seen this earlier. Through his own ministry to Israel, Jonah was very familiar with God's grace. And he had no problem with God's grace on his own people. But he did not want God's grace on Israel's enemies. Uh, this is a dangerous game, isn't it? When we become purveyors of God's grace. Who God should have grace on and who he shouldn't have grace on. I'll tell you one person, and I can only, I can only name one person he shouldn't have grace on. That's me. I can't point to anybody else and say that. Because he shouldn't have grace on me, yet he did. And he had grace on you too. And if he has grace on someone, we should be grateful for that. But grace for Israel's enemy was too much, and Jonah couldn't accept that. Secondly, he was motivated by pride. We see how he began the above complaint in chapter 4, uh, verse one, uh, 2. Before he said that complaint, he says, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying? When I let. Now, we all love to say, I told you so. It's rare that people say, I told you so to God. But Jonah said, I told you so to God. I told you so. Was this not my saying? Uh, the predictions, if you're a prophet, the predictions you make are important that they come to pass. And do you remember Jonah's, we're going to go into this in detail later, but do you remember Jonah's wonderful, encouraging sermon? In 40 days, y'all going to be destroyed. The end. That's pretty much what he preached. No grace, no love. No forgiveness, no repentance, just you're going to be destroyed. Well, his prediction did not come true. His prediction was interrupted by God's grace, and that upset Jonah. And then he said, I told you so. I knew you'd forgive him. What an attitude he had. And he predicted Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days, but it was canceled by their repentance. So selfishness, pride, this is what motivated Jonah to run. And these motivations are not extinct today. The motivations of uh, selfishness and pride vilifies all good outside its own circle. Let me say that again. The motivations of selfishness and pride vilifies all good outside its own circle. God should have grace with me. God should have grace with my family and my friends and those that I approve. But God should not have grace on them uh, for whatever reason. And that's what pride and selfishness does. And so uh, this is what Jonah's problem was. It's, that, by the way, is a very sick attitude. And it always, always leads to a judgmental motivation. So number seven, the last question, the consequences of the accused. 
The seventh question concerns a sentencing. It asks, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm to us? The fact that the sailors asked Jonah this means they were now convinced the lot was correct. It had fallen on him, and he deserves to be punished. So what are we going to do? Now, when in history or when on television or when have you ever seen in the news that a convicted person gets to choose his own punishment? If I was convicted of a crime and I got to choose my own punishment, I would say, yes, I need 10 lashes from a wet noodle, and then I'll be, then I'll be sufficiently punished. But they uh, asked, and I think one of the reasons is because Jonah's running from his God. Jonah knew his God. He knew more appropriately what the punishment was, so they asked him. The criminal is asked to give the sentence, and Jonah answers now uh, in his self-incrimination, and now we got five minutes left to squeeze. Okay, let's move here. More than five minutes in this, but he answers four of their seven questions. And uh, we're going to look at each one. They speak of Jonah's action, his advantage, his allegiance, and his advice. Look at his action. The sailors wanted to know what evil deed he had done to upset God, that this would conclude whether Jonah, uh, how bad he was, and of course it was bad, against God and man. Can I say, by the way, when we disobey God, we're always not only going to hurt ourselves, not only going to hurt our relationship with God, but we're going to hurt those around us. Jonah's sin had consequences that went far beyond him, and ours will too. The two uh, against God and man. And uh, sin humbles and shames the transgressor, no matter who he is. And then look at his advantage. When Jonah said, I am a Hebrew, he addressed both questions four and five. A Hebrew would inform the sailors of both Jonah's people and his country. Whence comest thou and who his people were. And uh, in doing so, this is a very incriminating answer because it spoke of a great advantage he had in life. The Israelites, the Hebrews, were God's chosen people. They had many, many blessings from God, and that should have produced better people. But Jonah was the worst acting person on this ship. Man, I hate when I see that. The person on the job site should be the hardest worker, ought to be the Christian. That's not always the case, though. And it just bothers me to no end when a Christian is the lazy one, or the Christian is the, the slacker, or the Christian is the worst uh, has the worst language, or whatever it is, the claiming Christian has uh, is the worst one. Here, Jonah is on this ship. He's the worst one. He's worse than all these pagans are. The sailors were without the great spiritual advantages that Jonah enjoyed, and yet uh, he was uh, when he confessed he was a Hebrew. This would be very self-incriminating because he was acting so innobly. And number three, his allegiance. Verse nine: I fear the Lord. The God of heaven, which hath made the sea and dry land. He indicates his allegiance to God who created the heaven and the earth. Now, the, <laughs> this answer, too, is very self-incriminating. It shows how inconsistent he is. So he fears the one who made the heaven and the earth. And he thinks he can run from him? This is a horrible testimony. And he's talking to pagan sailors here. And I'm telling you, when we're, you know, our theme this year is having an impact. And if we want to destroy our impact, then let's start living other than what we claim. And our impact is gone. I serve, not only that, I fear the Lord. Really, Jonah, you fear him so much that you think you can run from him and get away with it? Jonah knew good doctrine, but like so many Christians, it was only a statement. It wasn't lived. And if we don't live it, if we don't live what we say we believe, it's, it's fake. It's not going to make an impact on anyone. 
And then number four, his advice. What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? His answer was very extreme. Verse 12, he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. And so shall the sea be calm. This answer was the most self-incriminating answer of all. He was the cause of all the trouble on the ship. And he owned up to it. He's admitted it. And now he said, to fix it, throw me overboard. And that's where we'll pick it up next time. So, I know you have no idea what happened to Jonah after he went over. You'll have to come back next week to find out. Actually, not next week because we won't be here. In two weeks. Okay. Don't forget, next uh, Monday night is our midweek service with Brother Scott Pauley. It'll be a blessing having him, and I hope you can be here.